You are listening to Cornelia Church. Passion for God, compassion for people. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Boy, it's a good day today. I'm glad that you're here in the house this morning. Uh, my plan was to introduce to you our guest speaker for the day, uh, but uh, alas, he is, he is not here. Uh, we were planning this weekend, of course, on Friday and Saturday to have a seminar uh, with Dr. Brian Simmons, the author of The Passion Translation, and uh, his flight was canceled because of the bad weather they're having in the Midwest, well, kind of all across the U.S., right? And he's from uh, Wichita, Kansas, and so there was a major ice storm there. And so we got the call on Friday, uh, kind of earlier in the morning, that uh, he w- his flight was canceled, wasn't going to be able to make it in. So we did all we could do to notify those who had registered and uh, that, that that wasn't going to happen. But they said, but we were able to get a flight to, we'll be there on Sunday, we'll fly in late Saturday evening, so that we're going to come in late last night. Uh, so I thought, okay, praise God, you know, I still don't have to preach on Sunday. Thank you, Jesus. Um, and then, of course, on Friday evening, I get the call, I see it buzzing on my phone, it's the area code that I don't want to talk to right now, that I know how it is. You know how you're thinking, maybe I shouldn't answer that phone call, just know to get behind me, Satan, that can't be from you, Lord. And, and of course, the, the, I answer it, and the voice on the other line says, I've got bad news. The other flight has been canceled. So Dr. Simmons uh, is not here. I will never again use the Passion Translation. No, just kidding, just kidding. Uh, he was not able to make it, and we're planning on uh, rescheduling with him when we can and excited to have him. Uh, but you're stuck with me for the next few minutes, so my apologies. Uh, but I am excited to talk to you this morning. I think I do have something that's going to be of value, of value to you. If I get the lights flipped on here just so I can see these beautiful people's faces, that would be awesome. I want to tell you a story, and it's a story that you might have heard before um, because I've told it before. And it's, it's a story about... Um, something that happened about 12 years ago at my house. It was uh, in the evening, and my wife and I collapsed onto the couch after putting our little ones in bed. And uh, you know how that is if you're a parent uh, of little kids. Boy, by the time you get to the end of the day, chasing them around, doing whatever you need to do with them, feeding them, uh, comforting them, slapping them, whatever, you know, not slapping them, of course, but uh, encouraging them, uh, you finally get them in bed and you just kind of collapse because you're exhausted from the day. And uh, for us, we were always really good about getting those kids in bed. And so it was probably like 7, maybe even 6.30 p.m. those kids were in bed, and that happened this evening. Um, And it was summertime, so it was still actually a little bit light outside. And uh, we were just kind of staring at each other, uh, and uh, here comes one of my boys, who's at that point probably about five years old, into the room uh, from uh, downstairs. We have a basement, and so he came upstairs, and he came into the room, and he's one of these kids that smiles whenever he thinks he's going to get in trouble. You know people like that, and, and so it's, it's really cute, but you know, you know when he's trying to get away with something, when he's in trouble. It's actually really unnerving for a dad when I'm trying to talk to him, like, listen to me. And you start, what are you smiling at me for, kid? So he comes in the door, and he's kind of smiling, so I already know he just wants to get out of bed, right? This is just an excuse he's coming up with, and he says, there's a snake in my room. There's a snake in my room. There's a snake in my room, he says. And, uh, and I'm thinking, there's no snake in your room, kid. Get back in bed. This is just an excuse for you to try to get out of bed. So I tell my wife, hey, babe, go ahead. Go check it out. You know, clearly, 
clearly it's not real. So she disappears downstairs, and uh, I hear a voice, babe, you know, from downstairs. And sure enough, the snake was not in the room, but there was a snake that actually had fallen into the window well right next to his window because, like I said, he's in the basement. And so it's this little, little kind of place, maybe two feet by two feet, that's down about five feet um, from the, the, the ground. And so I go out and I look in, and sure enough, there's a snake, and it's a pretty big snake. It's probably two and a half or three feet long. I mean, it's a pretty good, good-sized snake, and it's uh, it's kind of agitated because it's in this space he can't get out of, and it's knocking with its head against the window to his room. And I see his little eyes <laughs> looking, looking out the window, and uh, it, it is. A, I, I determine it's a gopher snake, and I don't know if you're familiar with the gopher snake or not. I have a picture. I think. Did we get the? Yeah, look at that. So this is kind of what a gopher snake looks like. It's about about that size. Uh, I couldn't find the picture of the actual snake. I do have it somewhere. Um, now, the thing that I know about gopher snakes is um, that they look like rattlesnakes, that, that their markings are actually very similar to rattlesnakes. But we don't have a lot of rattlesnakes like in this particular area of the valley. So, so I'm, looking at, I'm looking down at this snake, which is a pretty good-sized snake, and I'm determining it's not a rattlesnake. It's a gopher snake. Gopher snakes are not poisonous. They're a little ornery. They're a little, little, little stubborn. Um, but they're, they're not going to really hurt you. And they don't have rattles. So I look at his tail, and there's no rattle on his tail. And so, I, you know, I, I know his markings. I look at his tail, and I look on Google just to make sure that this is a gopher snake and not a rattlesnake. I determine this is a gopher snake, absolutely positive. And uh, so, I, so I think, okay, well, I want to, you know, get the snake out. I like gopher snakes because they eat gophers, and gophers are from, from hell. Uh, they're, they're, they're a sign of the curse from the devil. Uh, and, the, and, be, and so anyway, I didn't want to kill the snake. I wanted to release it back uh, so that it would go and do its uh, kingdom work uh, in my yard. And uh, so I go and get, but I'm not going to get down into that space with this snake. So I go and get like two shovels, and I'm going to try to pincer this snake with my two shovels to get it out, which is not an easy thing to do with a snake usually. But I, So I'm, I'm kind of bending down into the hole. I'm trying to, to, to get the snake together in these two shovels, and all of a sudden, the snake begins to Now, I know that gopher snakes actually make this sound with their mouth. Uh, that's one of the things they do. Um, but it sounds like a rattlesnake, right? Uh, and, and so I hear this sound. My adrenaline starts to pump. I look down at the snake. I look at the tail. There's no rattle. There's no rattling going along. I look at the snake. He's going, and I say, you're going to die right now, and I kill the snake in that moment, right? Because all of the rationality, all of my intelligence, all my intellect, all the Google signs that I've looked at that said it's a gopher snake, all the indications, none of that mattered in that moment. The moment the adrenaline hit and the fear hit, I killed that sucker as quick as I could, right? And those little eyes are looking out the window at dad killing that snake. <laughs> we had other issues after that, traumatized him. When, when fear takes over, right, you begin to act in a way that you didn't plan to act. It's not the, it doesn't go according to what you should do. Sometimes the facts don't matter. Everything goes out the window in the moment when fear takes over. And I just want to spend the next few minutes with you this morning talking to you about fear. 
and how we can deal with fear in our lives. Because the reality is, is that fear is something we're all, we're, we all face, we're all dealing with at different times in our lives, and we have to understand how we can actually overcome our fear. Now, there, there are good fears and there are bad fears. You, you know this. I mean, good fears are the kinds of fears that uh, keep you from jumping off of tall buildings, right? I mean, they're the kinds of things that keep you alive. Uh, good fears uh, are, are the ones that the teenagers ignore, right? <laughs> that they get in the car and they drive too fast uh, and they act kind of stupid because they're doing silly things because they think they can't die. But as you get older, you realize, oh, I should probably have a healthy concern and fear. I'm going to buckle my seatbelt. I'm going to be a little bit careful. I know my teenager's on the road, so I'm definitely wearing my seatbelt because uh, I have a little healthy fear. So healthy fear is good, and it keeps us and preserves us in the way that it is. But there's also unhealthy fear, right? And that's really what we're talking about. Unhealthy fear makes you do irrational things. Unhealthy fear drives you in a direction that you shouldn't go in, and it's the kind of thing that is destructive to your life and to my life. This is what General Patton said. He was a World War II general. He said, there is a time to take counsel of your fears, and there's a time to never listen to any fear. There is a time, in fact, that we do need to pay attention uh, to our fears, and, and when it's healthy and it causes us to do the right things, it causes us uh, to be cautious in certain times, that, that's good. But there's other times when we need to, to understand, I'm not going to listen to your fear. I'm not going to be driven by you. You're, you're actually stealing life from me. You're taking something from me, and I'm not going to allow you to do it. Uh, and today, I really want to give us some tools from the Scripture that are going to help us overcome that kind of health, unhealthy fear that will rob from us the things that God wants to give us. Now, top 10 fears. Uh, this is true of most anybody. I'm kind of curious in the room. Uh, I have a list of this. Top 10 most com common fears. The first one on the top of the list is arachnophobia. That's fear of spiders. Anybody got arachnophobia in here? Yeah, look, look, there's kind of a good, good number of hands. Social phobia is number two. It's fear of kind of social situations, being with people, being in front of people, all those kinds of things. Uh, aerophobia is the fear of flying, uh, like on a plane, you know, fear of planes and being in a, in a plane. Anybody got that? I'm always surprised. There's, there's definitely plenty of those. Uh, agoraphobia is the fear uh, of unfamiliar open places. Claustrophobia, right? Fear of being in a cl closed space, a small space. Oh, that's miserable sounding. Acrophobia is the fear of heights. I like this one. I'm, I'm, I'm showing you this list just to teach you some new words. You know, we're just kind of educational here at Koinonia. Uh, Amidophobia, right? That's the fear of vomit. I, I don't know it's, if it's someone else's vomit or it's the fear of your vomiting, right, your own vomit, whatever, or just vomit in general, right? Okay, yeah, I got at least one amen to that back in the back, emetophobia. Uh, carcinophobia is the fear of cancer, right? Brontophobia is the fear of thunder, and uh, necrophobia is the fear of death or, or dead things. Listen, we all have fears. They're, they're very common to us. Uh, there's fears in our life about all kinds of different things. And, and I want to make sure that, that I just kind of hit everybody in the room if I can for just a moment, uh, because this applies to all of us. For you, maybe the fear is a fear of failure, and that's big for me. Uh, it's the fear that somehow I'm going to, uh, I'm going to be a failure in my marriage or with my kids, maybe failure as a pastor in this community, that I would be exposed for being maybe an imposter, right? And I just can't live up to uh, what is expected of me, and it kind of, it's one of those fears that, that threatens to grab a hold of me. Some of you might have a fear of uh, financial loss. 
you know, there, there's, there is a, a, maybe an amount of money that you have in a savings account or you got something tucked under your mattress and it gives you a sense of security and you, you're just always kind of, there's this feeling in the pit of your stomach that, that, that could be taken away from you and, and it kind of drives you and you find yourself protecting your, your money or, or doing maybe sometimes some things that are not healthy because that is really driving you in that direction. Many times we'll fear losing control. Uh, we, we have our life set up in a certain way. We have our family set up in a certain way, our relationships. And when we do all that we can, it's really one of the ways that we, we keep a hold of our life is that we try to control the things that we can control. And one of our greatest fears is that we would be out of control, that, that, that I wouldn't be able to, to hold things together. Some of us fear divorce, uh, breakup or blow up in our, in our family. We fear being alone. You know, that, that I would actually be alone. And because we're so afraid of being alone, it drives us sometimes into unhealthy relationships or it drives us to do things in those relationships that are unhealthy because we're, we're driven by this concern that, man, I, I'm just, I just don't want to be alone. Fear of, fear of dying, fear of death. Boy, that's a big one. Uh, and all of us have been touched by death in some way over these last couple of years. It's just something that's so very apparent to us and all around. And and uh, it's that, that means, you know, sometimes for us, it's the fear of us dying, getting something. Uh, maybe you're uh, compromised, immunocompromised in a way. You've got asthma, and getting the virus has been something that has really has driven you in terms of fear. Another big fear during this last couple of years while the virus has been around is the fear that has come on that people are going to lose their freedoms as their government and others have done responses to the virus. And so, so we're afraid of the virus. We're afraid of the controls around the virus. I mean, there's just so much fear that controls our lives and drives us in different directions all the time. We're, fear of, we're afraid of other people what other people think and what they're going to do to us. We're afraid of failing at a test or afraid of not succeeding at, at school or at our work or being shown somehow that we're not good enough. So many things that keep us afraid and keep us driven in fear. What do you do when you're afraid? Many times people will run and they'll hide. Right? They'll, go in the other, they'll go in the other direction. Sometimes people will just say, well, I just got to make it through. I'm going to white knuckle it and, and press through my fears. I remember being on a roller coaster, and, uh, you know, I want to go on the roller coaster because I want the good feeling of the adrenaline after the, or when we're doing the thing, but I've got to hold on to that bar, right, and my knuckles are white as I'm just trying to get through this thing that's so, so terrifying. Sometimes we'll, we'll hide from our fears. Sometimes we'll, we'll deny that fear even exists. We just kind of play this game. Uh, like, no, I, I'm not afraid at all. And, and we'll, we'll just act as if it doesn't, actually, it doesn't actually affect us. And sometimes we'll just lie. We'll just flat out to get out of a situation that we're afraid of. Uh, we'll, we'll just tell a story. We'll make up a story. What, a, what do you do when you're afraid and how do you respond? Well, I want to talk to you about how the Scripture teaches us to respond to fear and how we can actually overcome our fear uh, if we understand how to position ourselves in the right place. So I'm going to encourage you to take some notes this morning. Uh, if, uh, if you would, grab a pen, grab a piece of paper. There's some blank sheets in front of the notebacks, or the seatbacks rather, in front of you. Uh, it is not, the notes are not on the version translation. Thank you. Oh, it is. I was going to say thanks to Dr. Simmons, but uh, he actually, it's on there. So if you want to follow along on version under the events tab, and you get the notes in that, in that way, you can do that. I want you to write this down. This is, we're talking about how to fight fear 
in our lives. Number one is this. The first way we can fight fear is we fight fear with fear. We fight fear with fear. It's kind of counterintuitive, but I think you'll understand it in just, just a moment. Proverbs chapter 9 says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years of life will be added to you. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's the start of something. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's the knowledge of the Holy One that brings us understanding. What is the author saying here? He's saying that when, when we fear God, then we don't have to live in captivity to other fears. So in other words, if, if you fear the Lord, now why would we fear the Lord? Of course, we're not talking about fearing the Lord in, in the sense of like uh, you're terrorized by him or you have, you're horrified by him. What we're talking about is having a healthy fear that recognizes that the God of the universe is the most powerful being that there is, that he's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, that he is ultimately going to judge the living and the dead at the end of time, that he's the one that created us and formed us, he brought us in and he can take us out. He's the most important person and therefore we should really honor, respect, and live as if he is in fact the most important person in every realm of our life. Because if he's the head honcho, if he's the big man, right, then I better pay attention to him, what he says, how I'm supposed to live, where I'm supposed to go, how I'm supposed to think, because he is the preeminent one. Now, if I put God in the first place in my life, if I fear him so that he's the greater than any other fear, it puts in correct perspective every other fear. Because I realize that he's the supreme one and he's in charge. And suddenly every other fear that I'm afraid of, the fear of man, the fear of failing, the fear of losing money, the fear of whatever, fear of death, suddenly has a different perspective because he's in, he's in first place. In the first service, uh, there was uh, a man who had a, actually a vision during worship, and he shared it with us. And what he saw was he saw a lot of lions, like a thousand lions. He saw just this group of many, many lions, uh, and they were frightening. They were all roaring. They were all terrifying with their roars. And then he saw a massive lion that was bigger than any other one truly come forward. And, he, and, and what he said in that moment is he realized the, all the lions, all the many thousand lions that were making a lot of noise were all the enemy, uh, all the fears, all the representations of the way the enemy works where he's trying to kill, steal, and destroy. He's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour is what the scripture says. But then there's the lion of Judah, the great lion, the true force, the true power, the true one. And when we see him, he said, when, when we saw, when I finally saw him and the perspective of how larger, how much larger and more powerful he was than all the other many things, he said, suddenly those other lions were no longer something to be afraid of. Those other things were no longer something to be concerned about. Why? Because now I have the right perspective. Now I understand how powerful God is. In the Chronicles of Narnia, you may have heard the story. There's a great uh, moment when Susan and Lucy, two of the characters, they're going in uh, to have an audience with uh, Aslan. And Aslan is represented as a lion. And uh, he's really a picture of, of Jesus in, in the story. And Susan and Lucy have never met Aslan. They've only heard about him, and they're kind of nervous to go in and, and see him. So Susan is talking and asking uh, about who Aslan is. And, and she says this, I thought he was a man, 
Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Uh, that you will, dearie, said Mrs. Beaver. This is the woman that's helping her get ready. And make no mistake, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else they're just silly. And Lucy says, then he isn't safe? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you, don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver is telling you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Now, the reality is when we come to God and we have an accurate perspective of who he is, we will recognize that he is so vast, so big, so powerful that he's a little frightening, that truly God is not safe. If our God is safe in the sense that he's powerless or he can't actually do anything, then he's not really God. And I think many times what we'll do is we'll create a version of God in our minds. We'll, we'll, we'll worship God as long as he's safe and comfortable. But the moment that things go wrong, the moment that he puts us in an uncomfortable place, the moment that things begin to break around us, then we begin to get mad at God or we'll begin to walk away from him and, make, and blame him for the things that are happening in our lives. Uh, and the, what we're doing right there is we're actually creating a picture of God that's not who God is. I want to tell you that God is good and he's loving and he's kind, but he will mess you up. He will mess your life up. Now, he'll do it in the best ways. He, he, he's trustworthy always. He's our foundation. He's our safe place to run to. He's our rock and our shelter. He's our strong tower. We can always trust in him. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, but he's also the God of the universe who will do what he wants. He's the just judge who will actually make sure that everything is right at the end of the day, which means that he's going to mete out judgment right, to everyone on the planet. Now, that is something that should give us a little bit of concern. Paul actually talks about it in the book of Philippians. He says, work out your faith with fear and trembling. Well, no, how, how, what do you mean? Well, if God is love, what do we have to be afraid of? Well, it's, it's not that you're afraid that you're going to lose your salvation. It's that you have the correct perspective on who God is and that it speaks directly to everything in your life. Everything that you do, everything that you say, everywhere you go, all is put underneath and in what God wants. It goes through the litmus test of the king of the universe, and it gives a whole different perspective. Let me, let me just read this to you. The fear of the Lord is that decision not to treat your decision to ask Jesus to forgive your sins like something you did once and then moved on to the real stuff of life. It's a daily decision that should inform everything we do. Many times what we'll do is we'll say, you know, oh God, yes, save me, and cover my sins. We'll, we'll enter into a pact and a covenant relationship with him, but then we'll begin to live life the way that we want to live life. If you want to overcome your fear, you want to tuck yourself back into the wing of the Father where he is the first and the foremost person that, that has to do with your life the decisions that you're making, how you're living, how you're thinking, where you're going. And we have to actually, when we get that correct perspective and we put him in first place, all the other fears go into their place. Because when we, when we realize that he is supreme, 
What am I going to be afraid of? That's what I think the psalmist says. He says, what do I have to fear? What can man do to me? The Lord is my strength. I don't have to be afraid of man anymore, what man thinks, what man says, what people are going to do to me. I'm not afraid of people any longer I'm, because I'm concerned and afraid that he's the one that would be put in first place, right? I'm less concerned with what other people think than what God thinks, right? I'm less concerned that things would go wrong in my life than my relationship with the king of kings would go wrong, right? I'm, I'm less concerned that somehow I'm going to mess up with this money situation or I'm going to, if he's in first place, the scripture says, he's going to actually take care of us, right? If we put the kingdom of God first, all of these other things will be dealt with. All of the other things are, are going are to be put into place. And so, so many times we are afraid of what's going to happen next. We're afraid of what other people think. We're afraid we're going to lose this or that. We're afraid of the future. We're afraid of whatever. It's because we actually don't have God in first place. It's because we haven't put him first in our lives. And that's the very first thing we do is we need to get a right perspective on God. If you find yourself more afraid of other things than you do of the king of the universe, perhaps we need to get a better perspective on who the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords are, okay? You still with me there? All right, that's number one is we need to fight fear with fear. Number two is this, you can write this down, fight fear with faith. Fight fear with faith. This is what Matthew chapter eight says. Jesus is speaking. Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Well, you just have little, little faith. Now, what is faith? According to Hebrews, faith is the evidence, the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see, right? Faith is actually having a trust that though my physical eyes, my physical hands cannot see or touch that thing that it actually exists. This is, this is actually something that we have to understand because as people of the king, that is the king of kings, people of the kingdom of God, the currency of the kingdom is faith. We have to realize that we are people of the invisible realm, not just the visible realm. Now, all the earth right now seems to be obsessed with the idea that everything is physical, that there's nothing invisible. But the reality is, is that you have a physical part and you have an invisible part. And that which is going to endure forever is your invisible part, right? Your body is going to die, but your spirit is going to live forever in heaven with God or apart from God because that spiritual part of you is the eternal part. So the world is telling us ignore the reality of your spiritual part, but the kingdom of God is really about faith. It's about the supernatural. It's about something more than just this plane that we live on right here. And so if we want to overcome our fears, then we have to begin to live in a different kind of realm in a different kind of way. Now, now, so many times as Christians, we forget that we're people of the invisible realm. We forget that we have access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. We forget that the, the way that we're actually supposed to operate is not by what we see, it's not by what we can feel, it's not by what's going on around us, it's by faith, it's by moving into a place that is invisible, into the spiritual realm, because you and I actually, according to what Paul says, we're seated in the heavenlies with Jesus today. We actually have a place supernaturally, spiritually speaking, not in this place. Our home is not here. It is in heaven with God. And so we have to learn how to increase our faith. 
Jesus says, oh, you have little faith. You, did, you, you, you were afraid that the winds and the waves were going to destroy you. You need to increase your faith. You need to grow to a greater place. Because when you have faith, it means that you trust that even though things look a certain way, that the reality is God is in control. Right? Even though it seems impossible, the reality is God is a God of the impossible. Right? Even though it looks in a certain way, there's only one person who's really going to dictate the way things look like. That is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And, and so having faith is really learning to act as if. That's, I think it's a great way to remember what faith is. When, when you, uh, are at the beginning of the day, are trying to figure out if it's going to rain or not, I know this never happens in our area, but, well, but when, when if, imagine, right, by faith, that you lived in a place where it rained, and you looked at your iPhone, and the iPhone said 100% chance of rain at 10 a.m. You looked out your window, and there was not a cloud in the sky, and you still took an umbrella with you as you went out. That's faith. Right? Because you're, you're looking at the evidence here, you're looking at the evidence out there, it doesn't make sense intellectually, my eyes don't see what's going on here, that doesn't, but someone has told me, given me some evidence that I can trust, therefore I'm going to act out of that evidence. I'm going to take the umbrella, I'm going to act as if. You, you, you act in faith all the time when you drive on the road and you trust that other people are going to stay in their lane. All the time. It's faith, right? <laughs> Many times there's other evidence. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Oh, my goodness, right? It's acting as if. So for us as followers of Jesus, it's so critical for us to remember that our way is different than the way of the world. Our way is different than the way of just what we can see. Our way is different than just what makes sense intellectually always. It's something that's higher. It's something that comes from an invisible realm. And that means we have to begin to increase in our faith. We have to go to another place. I'm tired of Christians living like they're just natural. Tired of Christians just living like like they just, you know, I don't know, I just got, I guess I just got to get through this. You know, hey, you, you actually, you have the strongest person of the universe that's living inside of you, the Holy Spirit, who's given you access to everything that's needed, right? He'll, he'll speak through you in times when you need him to speak through you. He'll give you gifts to overcome situations and challenges. He can heal bodies. He can open doors. He can change impossible situations. There's nothing that he can't do. It's time for us to start living as if we were supernatural people. Now, how do you grow in your faith? How do you build your faith? The scripture actually tells us how we build our faith. We build our faith, and you write this down, uh, by number one, getting into God's word. The number one way you can build your faith is actually get into the word of God. That's what the scripture says. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's Romans 10, 17. That means that you need to read it, you need to listen to it, you need to memorize it, you need to meditate on it, you need to do everything that you can to get more of the Word of God into you in order to begin to build your faith. Now, why would reading the Bible build your faith? The reason why reading the Bible and getting the Word of God into you builds your faith is because the Word of God is not just words on a page. The Word of God is actually spirit-breathed life. 
And so it's actually a powerful force that when you read it and engage with it and it comes into contact with your spirit, see, because it was breathed from the spirit of God and it's designed for your spirit. And so it actually begins to feed and energize your spirit. That's why it says in the Old Testament, your words are life to those who find them and health to all their whole flesh. There's actually a powerful source of energy, essentially, that exists in the word of God that's activated by you getting it into your spirit man, and it begins to feed your spirit man and change you from the inside out. And so when you get into the word of God, it puts you into a different kind of perspective and paradigm. You start to read about who God is, about how he works, about what the kingdom of God is, about the way that he set up the universe, and you begin to think differently, right? You begin to expect differently. Because when you read, for example, what the words of Jesus, it's like, wow, there's something that is there that's even going beyond my intellect. I can try to figure it out, but there's something else that's happening. It's feeding me from the inside out. You do that, and suddenly you discover, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to, to be full of faith. I'm beginning to expect something different. I'm beginning to believe that what God says is actually true. And my fears are starting to get a little smaller because he said, fear not, I have overcome the world. Because he said, I'm going to be with you no matter what. Because he said, even though you walk through the valley of shadow of the death, of death, you will fear no evil, right? Because I'm going to be with you. I'm never going to leave you. Now, if you, if you go too long without being in the word of God, then you, for, number one, you forget those things. And number two, it, all of a sudden, the world becomes really big, and the challenges of life become really big, and the valley of the shadow of death is really intimidating. And you become overcome by your fears, and, and the, your fears start to counsel you, and your faith is gone. And so you got to get right back in that place. i got to build my faith, God. Would you help me? Would you, would you start to build? So read the word of God, number one. The second way you can build your faith is simply ask God to build your faith, and then get ready. Hold on. Because that's when he's going to actually now. So in order to build your faith, it means you're going to have, faith is like a muscle. It means you're going to have to do something. It means you're going to have to step out of your comfort zone. Faith, if it's based on not what you know and what you can see physically, if it's based on the word of God, if it's based on the invisible realm, that means you're going to have to step out of your comfort zone, out of what you know, out of what your experience has taught you, out of what your friends have told you, out of what the media has spoken to you, and you're going to step into a different kind of place. So when you ask God, build my faith, he's going to say, okay, let me give you an assignment. I'm going to tell you to do something. Oh, that sounds great, God. You're going to give me assignment. Right? And then he says, well, I've got a word I want you to give to someone. I don't feel like giving a word, God. I, I haven't studied the Bible long enough. I'm not qualified to do that. I, don't, I feel uncomfortable with that. You're telling me to give a word to that person? They look like a mean person. They're probably not even going to like me. If I give the, why don't you tell Pastor Chad to give them a word? I mean, he'll say anything to anybody. I mean, he's not afraid. Whatever. But, you know, he says, no, I'm asking you to step out in faith, right? Okay. Or he'll say, uh, I want you to go and forgive the person that you have not been able to forgive. He said, oh, that's, uh, I don't know about that, God. I'm, I'm not ready to do that. That person really hurt me, and I'm justified in being hurt, and I'm not ready to do that. And he says, well, yeah, but you asked me to build your faith. Are you going to trust me that I'm the one that's going to make things right, 
that I'm actually going to come stand alongside you. And when you forgive, when you don't think it's possible, that I'm actually going to come and work with you to make that which is impossible possible. Right? So when you ask God to build your faith, okay, go right ahead. And he will actually begin to give you assignments. And as you step into them, you will grow in your faith. The third way you can grow in your faith is simply go somewhere where God is moving and get involved. That's a great way that you can build your faith is go and get on a serve team in an area where God is moving, where people are getting saved, where people are getting ministered to, they're giving out food or they're doing something for the kingdom of God. And you get around those people and you begin to serve around those people and you begin to come into contact with those people and suddenly you begin to see that God is alive and he's working. And you see lives transformed and you see things going. You say, what? This is incredible. And you find your faith is encouraged and you begin to go and tell you, hey, you got to come over here and see what's going on because God is alive over here. And, and, and why don't you come and, and suddenly you're in encouraged in your faith and you're calling other people because now you've actually seen it with your eyes and you begin to build other people's faith. Why? Because you have simply gone to where God is doing something and get involved. If you feel weak in your faith, get involved. Get involved and begin to give around people that are giving to the kingdom of God, serving in the kingdom of God, and you will find your faith grow. And then the last one, you can write down number four, if you want to build your faith, then simply be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what it says in Jude. It says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Boy, if I, I want more of the Holy Spirit, right? Because if it's true that faith is the currency of the kingdom and that the Holy Spirit is the source of life and faith and gifts and the fruit that I want, then I need more of him. So God, would you fill me? Anybody want more of the Holy Spirit? God, would you fill me? Would you teach me how to pray? Would you change the way that I'm seeing things? Would you begin to come in and would you adjust my perspective so I'm not stuck in the same old routines? God, would you fill, my, fill me up so that what's coming out of me is not what I've heard in the past, is not the language that is being repeated to everybody else, but that comes from a different kind of place that exists in a different kind of realm. Oh, Jesus, would you please fill us and baptize us in the Holy Spirit? Now, the reason why Jude says be filled with the Holy Spirit, praying in, in the Holy Spirit, is because you are leaky, because you get empty, because you need to be refilled and refilled and refilled. So if you have one, one time been filled, you need to be refilled. And actually, you need to be refilled every day. Because, uh, I mean, I don't know about you, but I live in the real world, and, and, and I'm surrounded by it all the time. And I find that when I felt really good in the morning because I had my prayer time about, you know, 9 a.m. after I've had an encounter with Pastor Chad, all the Holy Spirit is gone for me in that moment, right? And I, I got to get filled once again. Oh, God, would you fill me anew and afresh? So be filled. Sometimes we just need to be serious about getting close enough to the Lord so that we experience a filling and, and we're always, you know, we're, we're, we'll do anything else we can to avoid getting close enough to him so that he, he could actually fill us. Sometimes it's just like you've got to spend some time. You spend time in his word. You spend time in prayer. You say, Lord, I'm not going to leave until you fill me. I need something more to flow into me. I'm tired of doing it by myself. I'm tired of doing it the old way. And so sometimes we just have to say, you know what, doggone it? God, I know you have it for me. But I'm going to wait until it actually happens. I'm going to work for it until it actually happens. And if you do that, you'll find that he will fill you afresh and anew. All right, number three, 
is this. How do you fight fear? You fight it with love. You fight fear with love. This is what it says in 1 John chapter 4. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. If you're afraid this morning that, that God is unhappy with you or that he's going to hold a judgment against you, this is important for you to hear this morning. Because when you, when you really come into a place of understanding how much God loves you and how when you come into Jesus and under his sacrifice that he receives you and he covers you, then you don't have to be afraid of judgment. You don't have to be afraid of living up to his standard because Jesus is the standard and he's covered you. It goes on to say, uh, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. It says perfect love expels all fear, gets rid of all fear. When, when, when you finally come to a place that you understand how much Jesus loves you and that there's no way that he can be disappointed in you or that you can be less than, then, then you finally come into a place where you, where you experience complete acceptance and security in who he is and you don't, no longer have to fear. Some of the greatest revelations of God's love have been in some of the most terrifying moments of my life. Uh, I remember sitting in the hospital with my wife next to our, our son who was on his deathbed. And we didn't know if he was going to live or he was going to die. We didn't know who, if he lived, who was going to wake up, how he was going to recover, what was going to go on. And in those moments of great fear where you see all of the future dreams that you had for your little one just kind of go out the window and you're afraid of everything in that moment, what we discovered is that when we turned to the Lord, that he almost like rained down perfect love. He gave us, in the midst of our valley, the shadow of death, the understanding that he had us. And, and when, when we began to live and experience that moment, we realized we were no longer afraid of the future. We were no longer afraid of what was going to happen. We were no longer, now, and, and we just said, you know what, Lord, you're big enough. You're great enough. It, it, whether, whether he lives or dies, whether things are good or they're difficult, no matter what the future holds for us, because we understand how much you love us, because we understand that you're good, that you never fail, that you're the same always, that you never leave us or forsake us, then we trust you enough to take care of tomorrow. And, I'm not, and, and the fear was gone. And, and the, the reality is, is that we have to get closer in those moments when, our, when it's really difficult and really dark. And when we get closer to Jesus, we'll discover that he's actually willing to pour out his love, his care, his acceptance, his goodness, and we'll see if we, if we receive it, if we allow him to do that, if we live in almost like that pocket or that bubble of love, that fear will begin to dissipate, that I no longer have to be afraid because I know who is in charge, because I know that though I live or die, he's in charge and he's in control and he's going to take care of it. Is this okay? You guys get something from this? Yeah. You know, Dr. S Dr. Simmons, eat your heart out, Dr. Simmons. All right, let me give you this last one, number four. I fight fear with action. I'm just going to end right here. I fight fear with action. It's what Psalms 56, 
Verse 3 says, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. You see there's an action there. There's a decision there. The decision is, boy, Lord, I'm afraid. It's on me again. I don't, I don't know what the future is going to hold. I'm concerned about the sickness in my body or in my family, or I'm concerned about the future or a money thing. I'm concerned about my kids and what's going on in their life. I'm concerned about my marriage. Lord, I'm afraid again. But you know what, God? In the midst of my fear, I remember that who you are. I remember that I can trust in you. As a, as a matter of fact, I don't just remember. I choose, Lord, to trust in you. I, I remember that the word says, you've not given me a spirit of fear but of a sound mind. And so, God, right now, I'm, I'm putting myself back into that place of trust. I'm putting myself back into that place of, of believing what your word said, is that you're true and you're faithful and you never fail. And so I'm not going to run and hide. I'm not going to allow my fears to tell me what to do. I'm actually going to take direction and take control. See, because no decision is actually a decision. And sitting in fear and being paralyzed by fear is actually beginning to agree with fear. And so when that fear comes on, you say, you know what, doggone fear, I'm, I'm not going to listen to you. I know somebody bigger than you. I know someone that's in control. And so I'm going to begin to trust. I will trust in you. God is a God who does not want his people to live in fear. Whatever you've been carrying, I, I just want you to know that God is bigger God is bigger. He knows and he is concerned about what you're afraid of. He, he knows and is concerned about the things that are on your heart, whether they're rational, whether they're irrational. He, he knows what's going on in, in your finances and in your marriage and with your kids and at your workplace and at your school and with your friends. I mean, he, he knows all of that and he is close enough to actually be concerned and to care about it. And he says, would you please, would you give me those things? Would you not hold on to them? Would you not let them control you? Would you not let them drive you into a place that you're not designed to be? You're actually designed to be a person of faith. You're designed to be a person that walks on a different plane. You're designed to be a person that is full of expectation and hope and fear will rob you of all of that. Would you stand to your feet and let me just pray for you this morning. If I can have the prayer teams come down. And I just feel like this morning there might even be some people here that you just need to come down right now because you know that you've been controlled by, uh, by irrational fear or a fear that's been driving you and you just haven't been able to get set free of that. And you wake up in the morning and it's on your chest and you go to sleep at your night at night and it's on your chest. And I just want to make sure that today that you step out in faith and that you get someone to pray for you and be set free of that thing that's all over you. So if that's you, just make your way down right now. I'm going to pray for everybody in just a moment. But if you want to break out of an irrational fear or a fear that has been paralyzing you and you're just saying, God, I don't know what else to do, so I'm running to you. Just make your way up right now. Come right down here and let us pray for you. And as they're doing that, if I could just have everybody bow their head, close your eyes. If you are dealing with the fear right now and you just want to ask the Lord to come and to give you a revelation of his love, to give you an increase in your faith, to help you see a better perspective of who he is, just raise your hand and say, Lord, I want to give that fear to you. I want to give that fear to you, Lord, all over the, the auditorium. Lord, you see every hand that's raised. 
you know where we're at, whether we're here in the house, whether we're online watching, we're raising our hand because we're people that are limited. We're human, Lord, and we're broken. And we oftentimes deal with fears. And so we're just raising our hand and we're just saying, Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to see you differently? Would you help us to put you in the right perspective? Lord, would you help us put you in first place? God, would, would you begin to feed our, our faith at a higher level, Jesus, so that we would no longer live on the natural plane, but we'd begin to step into a different place where we'd see you, God, and the things that you want to do. And I pray right now, God, for every person with their hand raised, that you'd give them a new, fresh revelation of the way that you love them, the way that you are caring for them, you're concerned for them, you're close to them, you're right there with them in that moment, you're never going to them. And so, God, I just pray that you would fill us with your power, fill us with your love, fill us with your faith. God, that we would be a people not controlled by fear, not counseled by fear, but a people who see you for who you are, high and lifted up, a, a God who is in control and who loves his people. Make us, God, people of faith, a people of expectation. Wherever faith, Lord, has been dashed, wherever hopes have been crushed, I just pray right now, miraculous power to re-energize people's spirits to look once again with expectation. And Lord, I just ask for marriages to be refreshed and renewed, for relationships with kids to be restored. Lord, for those prodigal kids that are away that parents are praying for, Lord, we're just claiming them right now. We're not going to live in, fa in fear anymore. We're not going to live controlled by the terror of the night. But God, we're going to walk in faith because you have made us people who are overcomers, who are victorious, who are going to win. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, 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 amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the message, and we hope to see you on a Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Visit us online at casinghamford.com, and if you want to support our ministry, click give. Cornelia Church, passion for God, compassion for people.